we are starting a new series this term in the book of 1 Peter. So if you've got a Bible, do find it. We're going to be kind of going through this verse by verse, 1 Peter. And um, the reason that we want, there's a few reasons we wanted to do this. Firstly, it's the Bible, and the Bible's good, so it'll be good for us. Um, 1 Peter focuses uh, quite a lot on Christians as uh, exiles in the world that are having a tough time. And obviously, we've just done a whole term in Daniel looking at this idea of faith in exile, which is quite a prophetic tone, like, you know, stand up, take courage. It's it quite exhortational, wasn't it, Daniel? It challenged us in lots of ways. Uh, this book is very pastoral. So this letter, it talks about the same kinds of things, but the tone is much more, man, you guys are having a tough time. <laughs> the world is difficult. It's hard being a Christian. It talks about suffering and pain in lots of different ways in 1 Peter. At least 10 different kinds of suffering are mentioned in this letter. Um, and so it probably covers a lot of us. And so the tone is very much about the embrace of God, the love of God, hope, encouragement. And we just felt people need hope. Uh, a lot of us are having a tough time still ongoingly in many different areas. And we need to talk about how faith helps us in those spaces in our lives. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter this term every Sunday, and then a lot of our life groups then uh, kind of look at it and talk about what was preached on a Sunday and discuss it. I'd encourage you, if you haven't signed up for a life group yet, find one online. Find a, a life group that's called a classic life group, and then we can sit in those groups together in the week and reflect on what's been preached and talk about how it's going to make a difference in our lives. That's what we want to do with the Bible. Um, I also, and we wouldn't often do this, I want to recommend a little book. Um, the reason we don't often do this is because a lot of people don't like reading, and that's fine, you don't have to. Um, but some people do like reading. Give me a wave if you like reading occasionally. Oh, quite a lot of people, there you go. Um, so this, it's the first letter of Peter, a global commentary edited by Jennifer Strawbridge, who's out of Oxford University. And the global Anglican church, all the bishops from the Anglican church, meet every 10 years to discuss something and get a big international perspective. And they met last year, the Lambeth Conference, to talk about 1 Peter. And so all the different bishops from all over the world came together and gave their perspectives. And they've kind of captured it in this little book. And so what, what's nice about this is it gives you a really international perspective. How do people in Southern Africa read 1 Peter? How do the Chinese church read 1 Peter? So it, as an international church, it gives us quite an international flavor of how to think about this book. Because one of the things about 1 Peter is it's not written to one particular church. It's, it's a circular letter that was written to lots of different churches. And Silas had to wander around and deliver it to lots of different churches. Oh, no. There we go. Uh, Silas had to travel around with this letter to lots of different churches and deliver it to lots of different people. So it's not written into one specific situation. So there's some broad things here that are helpful for people from all over the world, whatever background you're from. And so we're really believing that this is... I hope, have I sold it enough? Is that okay? Great. Um, I'm going to read from uh, the first chapter of 1 Peter, the first nine verses. So let's listen together to the Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father 
in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What we're just singing, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, I thank you for your word. It's thousands of years old. It's been talked about a lot that you've heard so many sermons, God, on these passages. But I thank you that right now you're with us by your spirit. Your word is alive. I pray, Father, take these truths Make them live in our hearts. Make them be fire in our minds. Put them deep inside our beings. Reach us. Put confidence in us. Change us. Strengthen us. Let your community here in Reading be the stronger and the sweeter and the brighter because you teach us today, I pray. Please, God. Amen. Amen. So Peter, uh, who wrote this, ordinary guy, fisherman, uh, from a little place in the Middle East, um, living his normal life, Jesus turns up one day and says, follow me. And Peter leaves everything, leaves his dad in the boat, leaves the family business, leaves it all and follows Jesus, just like that. And um, follows Jesus for three years while Jesus is alive, um, has blips, has difficult times, Uh, runs away when Jesus is being crucified. Jesus comes back from the dead, finds Peter. Peter's terrified. He's going to tell me off. Jesus forgives him, recommissions him, calls him to follow him again. Jesus goes back to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit. Peter lives with the Spirit of Jesus in his life, traveling the world, telling the stories, telling people what Jesus has done for him. And now it's 30, 35 years later, mid-AD 60s, And Peter's made it to Rome, to the center of the kind of the known world, the capital city. And shortly, Peter will be put to death by the evil emperor Nero because he's a Christian. And he will be brutally executed. And he's buried in Rome. And you can go there today and see Peter's tomb. And um, just before he dies, he writes this letter to churches in a wide area throughout a lot of what today is modern Turkey. And Silas... Um, who all the way through the New Testament, this guy Silas or Silvanus, keeps faithfully carrying letters for people. He goes on journeys, gets on boats, rides donkeys, goes up and down mountains, delivering letters from apostles to churches. What a fantastic ministry. We honor Silas, I think. And, um, uh, and Silas is going to deliver this letter to a whole load of churches right across 
Turkey. So off we go. We're just going to go verse by verse uh, through these nine verses today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So uh, he calls them here elect exiles. He says, God's chosen you and you are diaspora people. You're scattered. You're not at home. Um, if you think of the word diaspora, really it means people who are not living in the country where they're from. Yeah, so the Nigerian diaspora might be two million, is what Google says. I think there's a lot more than that. There's about two million Nigerians here today. <laughs> Give me a wave of your Nigerian diaspora. There you go. Um, the, uh, the Armenian diaspora is five million people. There are some nations that have a lot of people from that nation living in different places. And some things about diaspora people, um, you can often feel like you're an odd minority, like you don't fit in. Everyone looks at you a bit weird. You look at everyone a bit weird. Um, there can be a longing for home. Uh, there can be following the latest news and the latest updates from home. There can be sending money home. Uh, and actually, all of these things are true for the Christian family, because Christians are a 100% diaspora community, because our home is in heaven, and none of us live there. We live here. So our home is somewhere else, and we're living as aliens and strangers here. You know, the Bible talks about aliens. You can turn to the person next to you and say, I believe in aliens, and you're one. <laughs> so aliens are people that are far from home like Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. And that is us, isn't it? Our home is somewhere else, but we live here. And we, we think about home. Uh, we wonder how it's going there. <laughs> we send money home. All of those things that diaspora people do, we do. Uh, and so we're elect exiles. We're chosen by God, but we live far away from home. We're here now. And um, the places that he talks about here We've just got a little map for you. It's modern Turkey. And the, the order of the places that he mentions is quite a weird order. It's unusual. And it's probably the route that Silas was going to travel. So he was going to land up in the north on the Black Sea coast at Amastris, modern Samson, and then journey down, probably visiting the churches in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, doing a circle round Ephesus and Colossae, back through Nicaea, Chalcedon, which is where I used to live in Istanbul. Um, and so, and then coming back to Rome. So Silas is probably going to do this journey to all these people, and they will feel quite honored because their place gets mentioned in the Bible. And they're like, wow, that's cool. And so he sends this letter to all of them. Verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. What we see in this verse, it sets us up for the rest of the passage we're going to look at today. We see... The triune God. It talks about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Peter's spent 30 years kind of trying to figure this out and go, how can the Father be God and the Spirit be God and Jesus be God? But he captures it here beautifully in this one verse. And our understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is really important for us as Christians. Uh, Karl Barth, uh, the theologian, he said, the triunity of God is the secret of his beauty. It's just something wonderful about God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And um, what we see here is the foreknowledge of the Father. So according to the foreknowledge of the Father, the fact that God knew things before because he's God. So he knows everything. 
past, present, but even future. And um, the word here for foreknowledge in Greek is prognosis. So pro is before and gnosis is knowledge. And we use that word in English, prognosis. It's what a doctor gives you when he says you've only got a few months to live. You know, the prognosis is not good. According to the data here, I can predict uh, this is going to happen. But God's prognosis for us is stronger than what a doctor might give because he doesn't just know the data of the future, of the present. He knows the data of the future. So God knows everything, including what you will have for lunch tomorrow. Yeah? And where you will be when you're 76 years old. God, God knows everything about your future. And so he chose you and he knew you and even knew that you were going to live as an exile and, and the dispersion and the, the challenges and the pain that come with that dislocation. He knew everything you were going to do and still he chose you. That's pretty amazing. So he says, according to the foreknowledge of the Father and the, the active ongoing sanctification enacted by the Holy Spirit. So we talk about God the Holy Spirit this verse talks about the, the holification action of the Holy Spirit. It's from the same word, sanctus spiritus, and you have the sanctification. So it means to be made holy. So the Holy Spirit, when you talk about him in your life, he's in your life working to produce holiness. He's not just being holy in your life, sitting there going, oh, I'm so holy in your life and you're not. He's working in your life to make you holy. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's active in our lives. Now, if you think normally in our world, if you think about a clean thing touching a dirty thing, actually dirty usually wins, right? So if I get a clean white t-shirt and a dirty pair of football boots and I put them in a bag together and shake it up, the football boots aren't going to get made clean. The t-shirt's going to get muddy. So normally dirty wins. And sometimes we can live like that as Christians and we could think, oh, I'm one clean Christian surrounded by lots of dirty people in my community. I'm going to get defiled and we can live with a fear. Actually, in the Bible, it's the other way around. The cleanness has the power. Think about it. Jesus touches a leper. Jesus doesn't get polluted with the leprosy. The leper gets healed. And so it takes fear out of our lives. And what this says is the, the, the clean Holy Spirit is living in your dirty life, and he's transforming you and making you clean. He's working in your life actively, presently, all the time. So according to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctification of the Spirit, and actually it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. That's really interesting. So it doesn't just say the Holy Spirit is in you. It actually says you are in the sanctifying action of the Holy Spirit. That's the place where we are living as Christians. Wayne Grudem, uh, he's an American scholar. I don't quote Americans often, uh, but I thought I might occasionally, just because sometimes Americans can say good things. <laughs> God, but I know there's an American visit here today. God bless you. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. <laughs> Wayne Grudem um, says this, the unseen, unheard activity of God's Holy Spirit that surrounds them almost like a spiritual atmosphere in which they live and breathe. So we are saved into, in, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. 
And so now we've got the lordship of Jesus. We're saved. The, the, the choosing of the Father, the work of the Spirit, brings us to the feet of Jesus, to live with him as our Lord, as our King. And um, for me, one of the ways, it's very difficult to think about God as Trinity. One of the things that helps me is to think in terms of like the Son. And some of the early church fathers, Gregory of Nyssa in the fourth century, he thought like this. So the sun is in the sky, but there's radiance, there's heat coming off the sun, there's rays coming off the sun that touch me now, that I can feel. And so, you know, where is the sun? Well, it's there, but also I can, I can feel it. it. It works in my life, and it produces an effect. It produces, it makes the grass grow. It makes uh, chlorophyll do its thing. It makes fruit be produced. And so the, the sun is it's there, but it's also touching us, and it's also producing fruit in our lives. So the sun's rays, the sun's radiance. And you could say God the Father is not here. He's there. But the, the, the Spirit of God is touching us and working in our lives and producing fruit that, that proceeds from the Father. And some of the fruit is obedience to Jesus the Son. And so it's not a perfect illustration, but sometimes it helps me. And... Um, so Jesus then is Lord to be obeyed. And this isn't like zoomed in little obedience in the little things. That, that is that, but that's what, it's not so much what Jesus is asking you to do today. It's actually your position at the feet of Jesus in his kingdom with him as Lord over your life. And you're choosing to honor him and have allegiance to him day and night for the rest of your life. And so it's positioning ourselves in obedience to Jesus. And then he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Uh, grace was a Greek word. Greeks would greet each other by saying, hello, grace to you. And peace was a Hebrew, a Jewish word. Jewish people would greet each other saying, hello, peace to you. And so if he says grace and peace to you, it means there's Greeks and Jews in the church together. So it's a multicultural, it's a diverse church. And that's why he's greeting with both greetings. Wonderful, eh? Don't worry, we've only done two verses. We're not going to go this slowly all, all the way through 1 Peter. We'll be here a long time. But what we see here in terms of the work of the Trinity in our salvation is now expanded in the rest of this passage. And so we can see an expansion of these themes. The plan of the Father, the activity of the Holy Spirit, and the Lordship of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come to the next few verses, three to four. The loving plan of the Father is in view. And he says, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So God has caused us to be born again. And it talks here, it's like the father's role. You know, the mother's role is giving birth, but the father's role is... Um, putting the baby there in the first place. Uh, so to beget. Uh, I have four children, and I didn't give birth to them, but I begat them. <laughs> and um, that's what it's talking about here. It's the, the, the involvement of the Father in causing you to have new life uh, as a child of God through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So the resurrection was good for Jesus. Yeah, he was dead, and then he wasn't. <laughs> so it was good for Jesus. He rises from the dead. But it's also good for us. Because we were, we were 
dead in our sins, but through the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected king is resurrecting me, through the resurrection of Jesus, we are then brought into new life. So the resurrection of Jesus is instrumental to our salvation, to our being born again. So Jesus coming out of the tomb means that we are coming out of the womb. People like that because it rhymes. It's not mine. I stole it from somewhere. But what we see is Jesus rises from the dead, and through that, God the Father causes us to be born again into a living hope. So into two things. Into a living hope, which is now. So we've got hope in us that is alive, looking forwards. And that's important today because hopelessness can feel like being buried alive. Hopelessness can feel like everything's just on you. There's no air. It can feel claustrophobic. Maybe you feel like that today. Uh, and, and this living hope means that we always know we're going to hear the footsteps coming, the door being opened, a crack of light coming in, that there is something that can happen to rescue you from that sense of hopelessness that you're under. So into a living hope, which is for now, and into an inheritance that's unfailing, unperishable, and defiled, which is not yet future, um, kept in heaven for you. And all of this is done according to God's great mercy, which sounds simple, but it's a big answer to the why question. Why would God do that? Why would God save people? Why would God rescue people? Because he's got great mercy not just a little bit of mercy as part of his character. He's got great mercy. So if you question your faith or feel pressured under the challenges that you're facing, know this. There is a good plan of a loving father. And then secondly, through the activity of the Spirit. So verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And maybe the most important thing I want to say today is out of this verse. This verse tells us that we are being guarded by the power of God through our faith. Okay? Now, guarded can mean two things. It can mean kept from escaping, so a prison guard, or it can mean protected from attack, so a bodyguard, prison guard or bodyguard. And sometimes people go, which is meant here in this verse? And I think it's both. So I think God's power is a prison guard stopping you from escaping from your faith, stopping you from giving up, and also a bodyguard protecting you from attack. And you might go, hang on, isn't that a violation of my freedom? If I want to choose to walk away from God, can't I do that? Don't I have that kind of free will to walk away from my faith? Actually, verses like this tell us, no, you don't. But God is doing it through your faith. So there is an agency that's from you that's involved. And 1 Peter's going to talk a lot about faith. And I want to contend that faith is less about how you feel right now about God. And it's more about the, the big picture decision that you've taken in your life to be part of his kingdom. So you're part of God's family if you've put your faith in Jesus. And maybe right now, this week, this month, this year, you think, I've had enough, I want out. 
But actually, because of your faith in God and his power guarding you, you can't. So the, 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 the kind of crass question that a lot of people ask, and you might be asking it today, is, can I lose my salvation? Okay, it lacks quite a lot of nuance, that question. I don't really like it. But the answer is no. No, you can't. Because God chose you. The Holy Spirit is actively working in your life. And you've come under the lordship of Jesus. And he's guarding your faith to bring you home one day. So it's not a violation of your freedoms. It's a reflection of your big picture decision to be part of the kingdom of Jesus. So, friends, okay, I'm just going to speak a blessing over you. When you try and watch porn, may your internet crash. In Jesus' name. When you're about to do something really hurtful, may your children walk in and go, Mommy, what are you doing? And interrupt you. When you want to go binge shopping, may your credit card freeze or get lost. May God guard you. Uh, I heard a story from a friend. Uh, They met someone who wanted to commit suicide and was in a library waiting to jump out of the window. And um, there were lots of people there, so she just grabbed a book off the shelf to pretend she was reading. And the book that she grabbed off the shelf, she opened it, and a little note fell out of the book. And on the note was written a Bible verse that said, Jesus loves you. (laughs) And it stopped her. And so God can intervene even through our supposed freedoms. And then we read uh, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So there's a lot of emotion in these words. We can be grieving, we can face painful trials, and yet we rejoice. What do we rejoice in? The fact that God's got you. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So rejoice, God's got you in his big hands. Um, At the end of faith, there's still grace. You know the story of Peter getting out the boat, trying to walk on the water, looking at Jesus. And then he stops looking at Jesus and he looks at the waves and he starts sinking. What happens next? Jesus catches him. So when you run out of faith, there's still grace. Your walk towards Jesus is underwritten by his faithfulness underneath are the everlasting arms. Even if you run out with faith, he'll still catch you. It's beautiful truth. And here we read about a fire-tested faith in this verse. And our culture generally says that if you go through a tough time, it makes you weaker. Um, so PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, if you've, if you've experienced trauma, then you're going to be more liable to experience trauma in the future because you've got a vulnerability in that area. Uh, we talk about frayed nerves, you know, so your nerves have been frayed by your experiences or depleted tanks uh, emotionally. Um, and it's true, trials do weaken flesh. Pain does make you weaker in your flesh. But in your spirit, in your faith, pain does the opposite. Pain makes faith stronger. 
That's what it says here. Your, your faith is more precious than gold, though tested by fire. And Job knew this. Job was going through a tough time, and he said, he knows what, what I will be. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You can say that. You can claim that for yourself. When you're going through pain, you say, yeah, I know it's going to make my flesh weaker, but my flesh was weak anyway, but pain is going to make my faith stronger, and my faith is precious. So don't come into 2022 thinking that somehow you're weakened by what last year gave you. You may feel weak. I feel weak. But your faith has been strengthened. John Calvin says this here. Peter has taken an argument for consolation from the design of God. God has designed things here in such a way that they console us when we go through pain. And then finally, all of these things bring us into the feet of Jesus, the lordship of the Son. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Just give me a wave if that's true for you. You haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. Yeah. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him. Give me a wave if that's true for you. And you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So what this says is that faith is like a journey because it has an outcome. This word here, telos, it means destination, goal, objective, arriving place. So your faith is a journey and it's got an end point. Uh, we live right at the end of the number 16 bus route from Reading, the clear blue bus. And um, I love that they've got colors because I can't remember numbers. And you get on the, the blue bus from Reading, and it takes you to my house, and the bus stops there, okay? And so I can get on the bus, and I could be pretty confident it's going to get to my house. That's the outcome. That's the end. That's the goal of this bus route. And I might fall asleep, and uh, the bus driver, the bus might break down. <laughs> it might get attacked by a group of Amazon warriors coming out of the West Reading wilds. Um, it, it, it might, all kinds of things could happen to the bus, but I know that generally, if I sit on it, it's going to get me to my house. And um, now imagine the bus was designed by the greatest engineer ever. And the most experienced driver ever is driving it, and he knows how to fix it if it breaks. It increases your confidence, right? This bus is going to get you to my house. And um, we're waiting, by the way. Get on the 16. Come to my house. I'd love to see you. That's what Peter's really gunning for here. The three-in-one God is thoroughly invested in your faith journey. The Father's plan and design, the Spirit's involvement, bringing us home to the feet of Jesus. Your faith is precious. It's God-ordained, it's God-infused, and it's God-sustained. So what do we learn from these verses? Peter is writing to these scattered believers to give them confidence. He shows us how the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in our faith journey. The beginning of your journey is the loving plan of a father who knows the future. The foreknowledge of the father causing you to be born again. The past is in the hands of the father. Throughout our journey, we know the active power of the Holy Spirit working in us, making us cleaner, and keeping us safe. So our present is in the activity of the Holy Spirit. And our future destination is 
where our faith journey will get us to, the lordship of Jesus for all eternity in a hope that will never perish or spoil or, be, or fade. An inheritance that he's keeping for us, so that's our future. So we've got past, present, and future. We've got Father, Son, and Spirit all involved and invested in your faith. Wow. That's why the Bible says your faith is precious. And yet, perhaps unexpectedly, these first verses of the letter focus repeatedly on our faith. And it says, God's power guards us through faith. Our fire-tested faith is more precious than gold. And we will obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. It talks a lot about our faith. And the stress on our faith gives to the believer dignity, agency. It's not just God carrying you and you're a passive passenger. You are actively involved because of your faith engagement with God. But faith is not to do with your brain. Yeah, the Bible says it's not just you believe in God, even demons believe in God. It's not intellectual assent or understanding or lack of doubt. Faith is not just to do with your emotions and how you feel today about your relationship with God. Faith is, and this is where we'll end, a deep-seated certainty in the core of your being that what I'm saying right now is true. It's a resonance and an identification with the things that we're talking about. It's an awareness. I have been born again. God is at work in my life. And if I do experience pain and grief for a while, rejoicing will come in the morning. That even though there are clouds in the sky, I know that behind them, there's a sun that's still shining. And we're going to end today by reading a statement of faith that's thousands of years old, the Apostles' Creed, to affirm our faith together. So it'll be on the screen. We can stay seated where we are. And we're going to read together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.